You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Galatians chapter 2 is where we're going to be at tonight. I was sharing with some of our men a little while ago that this passage in Galatians chapter 2, it's, it's really kind of a, Paul's telling a little bit of a story here. Um, and so there's not necessarily any uh, direct commands that Paul's giving here, but there's principles that we can gather. Every time we read the Bible, we need to ride, read the Bible not for information, but for application. Why did God write this passage of Scripture? What should we gather from this passage of Scripture? What can we learn from this? What are some principles uh, that we should apply from this passage of Scripture? Uh, so every bit of Scripture the Bible tells us is given for inspiration, uh, given by inspiration, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so we need to know the Bible, why it says what it says, and what it means to us. Uh, so we find ourselves uh, in uh, Galatians chapter 2. Uh, this is message number 9 in our series entitled Only Jesus. Uh, I've entitled tonight's message, Standing Firm in the Gospel. Again, uh, just a context and a quick refresher. Paul writes this to the churches, plural, at Galatia, probably about five or so churches that would have gotten a copy of this letter uh, and read it. Uh, whether one church got it, read it, and passed it on to the other one, we don't really know, but he was writing it to multiple churches. He was writing it with, the, with one reason in mind, because they had perverted the gospel. They had said, uh, Jesus is great, that he died on the cross to pay for our sins, that's helpful, but... We also need to add on these other things from the Old Testament. You also need to be circumcised. You also need to keep the Levitical law if you want to be a real Christian. And so Paul writes a letter to them saying, eh, nope, stop that. Uh, we're not going to add anything to the gospel uh, because that would pervert it. And so uh, we find here in this passage of Scripture, uh, chapter number 2, uh, Paul picks up here. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 1, 14 years after I went up again into Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. So Paul's actually writing here that he met with some folks who people had esteemed highly. Uh, these were some popular folks, you could say, that he was meeting with here. Uh, these were people who uh, people thought highly of, uh, but you'll find what Paul thinks about them in just a moment. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now, again, this is important, too, uh, because you have Barnabas and Paul, who are both Jews, who uh, by, their, uh, by, by nature would have been circumcised uh, the, uh, in early on uh, in their, uh, their birth. Usually within the first week, they would be circumcised. And so, but Titus here, in this case here, is not a Jew. He's actually a Greek and is not circumcised either. So they said, hey, this guy that's with you, Titus, he needs to be circumcised. And Paul's like, I, I don't think that's a great idea. No, if he wants to be a follower of Jesus, he needs to be like the Jews were and be circumcised. That's what verse number three says. Verse number four, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in. Now, it's important to understand that term false brethren, and we'll come back to that in just a moment, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So again, Paul gives the idea here that because of Jesus, we've been set free from the bondage that was the law. Now, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And now, because it's been fulfilled, it's about faith in Christ, not about uh, the works of the law any longer. 
And so Paul says they're trying to bring us back into bondage when Christ has already set us free. Verse number five, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, but that the truth of the gospel might come, uh, might continue with you. Uh, we didn't listen to what they had to say, not even for an hour, he says. But there be some, but those, but of these who seem to be somewhat, uh, these people who people thought were something, he said, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. Hey, if other people thought these guys were popular, that's cute, I'm not really all that interested in it. Uh, Paul didn't put a lot of stock in what other people thought of people uh, or any celebrity status that they might have had. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Hey, these people who thought that they were somebody didn't uh, make me better, didn't enhance the gospel message any, uh, didn't help me with my mission. Verse seven, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed to me as the gospel of the circumcision was committed unto Peter. They saw that I was preaching to the Gentiles now, not preaching to Jews the way that Peter was. Verse number eight, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of circumcision. Again, Peter is preaching primarily to Jews. The same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. I was preaching to the non-Jews. Verse nine, and when James, Cephas, and John, Cephas is another name for Peter, so Peter, James, and John here, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go to the heathen and they to the circumcision. So uh, we agreed that we would go to the Gentiles and they agreed that they would go to the Jews and preach the gospel. Verse 10, only they would we do, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So here we see that Paul went to, to uh, Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. Titus was uh, a, a Greek. He was a non-Jew, wasn't circumcised, and they compelled him to be circumcised, and Paul says that's not gonna happen. There were these popular celebrity uh, folks in the church there who Paul uh, really paid no mind to whatsoever, didn't enhance Paul in any way, didn't help him with his mission, didn't enhance the gospel message in any way. And at the end, we see that he partnered together with other believers, uh, Peter, James, and John, and he got to work. As uh, simple as that. That's kind of the nutshell of the story here. So again, it's easy to look at the story, but what can we gather from the story? How do we apply this passage to us instead of just saying, oh, that's a cool story. Hey, that's a neat historical fact. Uh, how do we apply this uh, to our own situation? Uh, it's important that we do that as well. Number one, uh, first of all, we must be committed to the truth. Paul says, hey, I went, verse number two, he says, I went and I shared the gospel with them the same way I shared it with other people. And they weren't really all that excited about it. And Paul said, frankly, I didn't really care because Paul was committed to the truth. Now, mind you, this is really, it's easy for us uh, in 2019 to look back and go, those knuckleheads at those churches, what were they thinking going up against Paul? You have to understand, they didn't have all the writings of Paul at that time. Uh, they, they likely didn't have all of the Gospels yet at that time. They were just going based on what they knew, what they had heard, uh, and what they thought about Paul. Now, again, if you weren't in the loop on who Paul had become, you might think that Paul was still a persecutor of Christians. Maybe he was a guy that's still against the cause of Christ. Uh, and again, we don't have anybody who had stood up and said, hey, this is how it's supposed to be. So Paul had to step up and be that guy that was committed to the truth. It's important for you and I to understand that the truth is never up for negotiation. If the Bible's clear in black and white, as far as the truth, we're not gonna negotiate on that. Simple as that. It's, it's, a, it's a full stop, not up for discussion, not up for negotiation. The Bible says what the Bible says. Well, 
is it possible, though, that there are other ways to heaven that maybe we don't know about? Just maybe in the realm of possibility, that's the case. Well, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, that ends the discussion. Well, we'll just think outside of that. I cannot think outside of the boundaries of Scripture. That's clear. Can't do it. Well, what if? We're not going to go what if. Again, uh, philosophy wants to think about this, you know. What if we are all spirit beings? Uh, what if we are not real? What is, what is time? You know, what is matter? What is being? And we ask these big, huge philosophical questions. Well, it may be funny to, fun to discuss with friends uh, sitting around having a cup of coffee. At the end of the day, we have to be committed to the truth. Okay, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That's what I do know. Well, what if there's another alternate universe out there that when we die, we're translated over to that alternate universe. Okay, that's a cute story, but it's not true. Well, how can you say that? It's appointed unto man once to die, after that, the judgment. I'm staying within the boundaries of Scripture. I'm not going to negotiate that. Simple as that. Well, you, you sound really hard-headed. Call it what you will. I call it being biblical. Well, that sounds very narrow-minded. Well, I'll stay about as narrow-minded as this book allows me to be. Simple as that. I'm going to stay within the boundaries of Scripture. Now, we should teach it, we should share it, and we should learn more of the truth, but we can never compromise the truth. I want to continue to learn more about the Bible. I want to continue to be a student of the Bible. I want to grow in my personal discipleship and my growth of being a committed follower of Jesus. I want to spend the rest of my life teaching people what the Bible says, uh, whether it's in a, a, a formal situation like this, whether it's an informal uh, discussion of a couple of dudes having coffee together, or whether it's me sharing truth with a, a Bible study or going to uh, somewhere in town or uh, across the world that I can share truth with people. I want to commit to sharing the truth. I want to commit to learning the truth. I want to be around pe people that are smarter than me. I want to be around people who have read different books than I've read. I want to learn as much as I can. I want to grow in my knowledge of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to grow in my knowledge of the Bible. I want to be a better Christian. I want to continue to grow, but I cannot compromise on the truth. Simple as that. That's why we must be discerning Christians. My, my goal for you as a Christian is that you would be a strong, committed, discerning Christian. That when you hear somebody say something that's not biblical, you go, ah, that, that doesn't sound right to me. Well, you have to be baptized to go to heaven. Hey, time out on that. I don't think baptism has anything to do with anybody going to heaven. That's not biblical. Well, you have to be a member of this church to go to heaven. Ah, mm-mm. Salvation is through Christ alone, definitely not through any church. Well, you know, there's multiple ways to heaven. Ah, yeah, I got to disagree with you on that one. Well, the Bible's not really that big of a deal. Oh, time out on that one. That, that just doesn't line up. So that we can be discerning Christians. So that if you can, you can read a, a Christian book that's written by somebody who maybe we wouldn't agree 100% on, but you can say, hey, I know this is true and that's a good truth that I can grow from, but I'm gonna, uh, I, I guess, uh, chew the meat and spit out the bones. If we could be discerning Christians like that, that's good. The problem is, is when we think we're discerning Christians and we take the meat and we swallow the bones with it. That's a problem. I've seen that so many good Christians get sucked away into bad teaching because they weren't discerning. And so my heart for you is that you would know the Bible to have good discernment so that when it comes to the truth, it's a line that we're just not gonna cross. Uh, the Bible says that we should stand fast in the faith, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. 
That means I'm gonna stand on the line and I'm going to fight and not give up an inch. That's the idea behind this. I'm not gonna compromise on the truth. I'm gonna stand fast for the faith because the truth is worth fighting for. Take a look at verse number uh, four. And he said, because of false brethren, unawares brought in. It's important to understand we cannot be swayed by popularity or celebrity, and I'll put in quotes here, Christians. This has become uh, more prevalent in our society today. Basically, anybody with a couple of really cool quotes in a Twitter account can become uh, automatically the internet theologian. We're not gonna look at anybody's track record of what they've done or where they've been or what they studied or what they've taught in the past. This guy just had a really good quote and somebody put it on a, a really cool uh, photo and put it on Instagram. And I'm just gonna automatically start following that person. We need to be careful with that because the Bible says that there are false brethren. Now, I don't wanna be the guy that's, that's skeptical of everyone who calls himself a Christian. I, I'm not gonna be that guy. But when someone's life doesn't line up with scripture, it's gonna throw up a yellow flag. And when someone teaches something that violates scripture, it's gonna throw up a red flag. It says, I'm not going to be able to extend, as Paul says here, the right hand of Christian fellowship to you because you said things that are anti-biblical. I was having a talk with some of our men a few weeks ago, we were talking about a guy that I had had past tense, great respect for, a preacher, very popular in Atlanta area, Andy Stanley. Uh, I've read several books by Andy Stanley. Phenomenal guy. He pastors the uh, uh, North, North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Probably one of the best communicators I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, the guy is just absolutely captivating on the things that he says. He's the uh, son of Charles Stanley, who is a popular Baptist preacher. Uh, was on, has been on television for decades, uh, his dad. Uh, but Andy Stanley is kind of the younger, hipper, cooler version of that. Uh, but, uh, and I, I had a couple of Andy Stanley's books that I read that greatly impacted me. Uh, but there began to be a few yellow flags as I began to, to look into some of Andy Stanley's stuff that he had and things like that. Uh, early on, uh, my wife had, uh, I'd asked my wife to teach one of his books in our ladies' Bible study. That's uh, Andy Stanley and his church in, uh, in Georgia. I think they have like seven satellite campuses and things like that, super popular. Uh, tons of books in Christian's bookstores. I think he puts out a book about every six months or so. But one of the books that he had written was, I thought was really good. I read it personally, and it, and it spoke to me in so many different areas. And so I, I asked Angela, I said, would you teach this in a ladies' Bible study? She said, sure. And so she gets the book and she starts reading through it and, and making notes and stuff like that. And she comes back to me and she said, hey, I'm looking at teaching this book. She said, but um, there's no Bible in it. I go, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, it's, it's chock full of biblical principles. And she goes, yeah, there's Bible thoughts in there. She said, but I can't find a single verse in the whole book. Give me that book. You don't, I started flipping through it. And I was just like, wait a minute here. Not, not a, there's not, not that there's not a lot of Bible in it. There's no Bible in it. It's a lot of biblical thoughts and biblical principles. And basically, I told her, I said, the truth here is a biblical truth and there's a biblical principle. I said, do, take, do this, take the book, take all the good biblical thoughts out of it, find Bible verses that support it and then study that together uh, in your ladies' group. And that's what they did. But, but I, was, I was troubled by that. That was a yellow flag for me. That a Christian pastor would put out a Christian book with little to no Bible in it, that's a concern. Uh, a few years later, I began to uh, read some uh, interview that he did in uh, 2000, uh, I think it was 2013. And one of the interviews asked him a question, what do you think about preaching verse by verse messages through books of the Bible? Andy Stanley responded, guys that preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, that's just cheating. 
It's cheating because that would be easy, first of all. This isn't how you grow people. No one in Scripture modeled that. There's not one example of that. Time out on that. Did you just say that preaching the Bible verse by verse is cheating? That it's too easy? That you can't grow people by teaching them the Bible? That's, that goes against everything that the Bible teaches. If we're not gonna read Paul's letter in context the way that Paul wrote it, why, why even study what Paul had to say? Uh, you know, if we're gonna preach topically where we're just gonna cherry pick a few verses here and there and put it together in a message that says what we wanted to say, is that biblical preaching? That right there uh, was a major, that was an orange flag for me. When you begin to say that you can't preach the Bible verse by verse, he went on, uh, this was a couple of years ago, he says, if you're raised on a version of Christianity that relied on the Bible as the foundation of faith, a version that was eventually dismantled by academia or the realities of life, maybe it's time for you to change your mind about Jesus. The Bible is the foundation of our faith. If you were raised that way, maybe you should change your idea about Jesus. What? Maybe it's time for you to consider the version of Christianity that relies on the event of the resurrection of Jesus as its foundation. If you gave up your faith because of something in the Bible, or maybe you gave it up for the wrong reason. Just like, so he begins to say that the Bible's not really that important. We should just focus on the resurrection of Christ instead. <laughs> Again, when you say that if we mold our, found our, our faith on the Bible, that maybe we put it on the wrong thing. Friend, if we don't have the Bible, we have no foundation for our faith. If this book is not real, we need to pack it up and just go to the beach and have a barbecue tonight and not come back next week. If, if this book is not the foundation of our faith, I don't really know what to do or, or where to go. And so this for me began to turn into from orange flags to, to red flags he then went on to say that the first century church leaders unhitched the church from the worldview value system and the regulations of the Jewish scripture. In other words, they took the, the Old Testament and set that to the side. Peter, James, and Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from the Jewish scripture, speaking of the Old Testament. And he says, and my friends, we must as well. <laughs> Excuse me? The Old Testament was, was good for a time, but we need to take that and set it to the side so that we can focus on the New Testament. Friend, when you begin to take parts of the Bible and say this part's not important anymore, you just violated Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it cover to cover. Even those parts in First Chronicles that you don't like to read, okay? It's given on purpose for a purpose. And when I read this, and I, be, began, I, I thought, there's no way this was taken out of context. I listened to the entire message. It was 100% in context and said exactly what he said it would say. I couldn't with good faith listen to anything else that the guy had to say about the Bible because when you put down the authority of Scripture, I have no respect for you whatsoever. Don't call yourself a Bible teacher. Don't call yourself a Bible preacher. Definitely don't call yourself a pastor if you don't encourage people to love and rest in the authority of the Word of God. It's so incredibly important. And so for that reason, we don't have any, any Stanley books around here anymore. I don't read any stuff anymore. Uh, I don't listen to his podcast, don't watch his videos, don't care what his church is doing, don't care what he's preaching. I have, I have friends who are enamored by him. He's a great communicator, I'll give you that. Uh, but, but so is a lot of politicians, <laughs> and I'm not gonna learn from them either. I say this because not to, to put this guy down, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter to me what he does with his church because at the end of the day, I'm not responsible for that. But I want to be a discerning Christian that I say, when I hear people say that the Old Testament's not important, that's a red flag for me. When I hear people say that the Bible doesn't grow people into Christians, that's a major red flag for me. And I wanna be discerning. I can't say whether or not Andy Stanley is a false brethren or not, but I tell you, he's got some false teaching uh, that's coming from his pulpit, and he is cause, calling into question the authority of Scripture. 
That's a major problem from anybody's perspective. Be careful of that. This is not an Andy Stanley Bash session for sure. Uh, there was another popular uh, pastor, Rob Bell, um, was pastor of one of the largest, uh, fastest growing churches in the uh, United States, was a pastor of Mars Hill Bible Church uh, in, uh, in Michigan. Uh, they had uh, his church actually bought out uh, an anchor department store that was in an abandoned uh, shopping mall and turned it into a, a massive, huge auditorium. Uh, and he became very uh, popular for for teaching in uh, a different style of things. And again, uh, when we have to make the Bible new, that's usually for me kind of an orange flag that we got to do new, different things with the Bible as opposed to let the, the Word do the work uh, itself. He published several books and became very, very popular. Uh, his church grew in attendance of about. Um, 6,000 people weekly. Uh, he wrote a, a, uh, uh, wrote a book, I think it was in 2015, called Love Wins. This is the, uh, the uh, title of, or the description from Amazon. And Love Wins, best-selling author, international teacher, and speaker Rob Bell addresses one of the most controversial issues of faith, hell, and the afterlife, arguing, would a loving God send people to eternal torment forever? Rob Bell's an electrifying, unconventional pastor whom Time Magazine calls a singular rock star in the church world with millions of people viewing his videos. And he's got, you know, four stars on Amazon for his book, Love Wins. You know what Love Wins teaches? It teaches that God loves you so much he would never send anybody to hell. That eventually, everyone who has gone to hell will eventually make it back to heaven because in the end, love wins. God's love triumphs all and eventually everybody gets to go to heaven. Uh, that is a false teaching called universalism, which means at the end of the day, all paths lead to heaven and we're all gonna get there anyway, so just hang on till it comes. Hmm. So many problems with this. Part of the problem, it has four stars on Amazon. That's a problem. And so you have a person now who denies that hell really exists, denies that anybody actually goes to hell and basically says that everybody eventually makes it to heaven anyhow because God lo God's love triumphs over all. That's a problem. Uh, one of the uh, other things that was evident, if this wasn't a red flag, it definitely is uh, for sure, is that Rob Bell uh, became uh, partnered up with Oprah uh, as part of her uh, uh, folks that she would have on her show to talk about God and there are things about God and stuff like that. And so he uh, had his own uh, part on one of Oprah's shows that she had and was featured on her website and O Magazine and things along those lines and became one of her spiritual advisors. Uh, the problem with this is, is a lot of people think that Oprah knows what she's talking about when it comes to theology, you know? And she doesn't have a clue. Uh, she sits down with guys like Rob Bell, guys like Joel Osteen, other uh, Muslims and Hindus and, and gets all these spiritual insights from everybody. And again, I'm not bashing anybody. I'm not against anybody. I want you to be discerning. Do not take biblical advice from Oprah. I never thought I'd say that from the pulpit. I just said it, right? Just because Oprah endorses somebody as an authority in their field does not make them an authority in their field. Look at Dr. Phil. That was a joke. Good grief. You guys are tough tonight. One article said uh, Rob Bell was once the evangelical it boy, the hipster pastor with the thick rimmed glasses and the skinny jeans. Skinny jeans are also an it. I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I had to throw that in. Uh, whose best-selling theology was captured in books named Velvet Elvis, Elvis and Sex God. By 2006, the Sun, uh, Chicago Sun-Times wanted to allow whether the Michigan megachurch pastor could be the next Billy Graham, and then he went to hell. In 2011, his book Love Wins pushed the evangelical envelope on the nature of heaven, hell, and salvation. Many dismissed him as a modern-day heretic, unwilling to embrace traditional 
evangelical beliefs about the hereafter. Now the man who built the church of an estimated 10,000 people isn't even attending an organized church. Instead, he said he surfs the waves near his Hollywood home and has teamed up with the goddess of pop theology, Oprah Winfrey. Wow, how about that? Hey, this guy made money off of his books and realized that there's a better way to live than the way that he was living and decided to go that path. You have a pastor who wants, I'm gonna use pastor in quotes there because this guy was never truly a, a biblical pastor who now no longer attends church, now no longer believes in hell, no longer believes that the blood of Christ is ne necessary to find salvation. He doesn't even go to church now. He'd just rather surf and hang out with Oprah instead. Friend, I can guarantee you, I can say with all certainty that that is a false brethren. Why? Dude, you violated every single bit of scripture that there is to have. But this guy's super popular. That's fine. You know what Paul says to that? I'm not impressed with that. You know what Paul thinks about anybody who would deny the authority of scripture? I'm not impressed with that. But look at how many Twitter followers he has. Look at how many four-star reviews he has on Amazon for his book. Not impressed with that. I want to know what does the Bible say and I want to be a lover of truth. I wanna stand for God's word even if nobody else does. I wanna be aware of false brethren. I wanna be aware, I wanna be discerning that when somebody gives me a book, like people give me books all the time. Sometimes I read them because I can learn anything from anybody. Somebody gave me uh, a book one time. It was talking about the four blood moons and how we know that the blood moons came at this time and it's gonna come over Israel and this means the return of Christ is imminent and, and just how we can watch the stars and watch the phases of the moon and know that Jesus Christ is coming back very soon. Hey, I ain't gotta read the book to know that Jesus is coming back soon. I read the book of Revelation. It's very clear Jesus is coming back soon. And any book that purports to tell me when Jesus is coming back is a bunch of junk anyways, not worth the paper it's printed on. I don't have to read that to, to know that, that, that it's junk. You know, if, if you uh, get a book from somebody on how to, to maximize your income and be uh, a millionaire, I don't need to read that book to know that it's not for me. I want you to be discerning. I want you to know that when you hear stuff like a guy who says, hell doesn't really exist, we're all going to heaven one day. Don't you believe that God's a God of love? That you can say, mm, God's a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. God's a God of love, but God also hates sin. God is also willing to be gracious, but also must be just. God is merciful and gracious, but he also requires the penalty of, pen, of sin to be paid. I want you to be discerning to that end. Paul says, these guys are false brethren. Don't have anything to do with them. I'm not gonna give them a second of my time. I'm not gonna hear what they have to say because I wanna know what the truth is. Know this, false brethren are planted by Satan. You say, that's a heavy that's a heavy accusation. I 100% agree with you. That's heavy, but it's the truth. These false brethren that bring confusion to something that's very clear. The doctrine of hell is very clear. Read the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20 talks about who's gonna go to hell when they die. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. That's not up for discussion. Very clear, you wanna deny the clear teachings of scripture, just know this, you are not from the Lord. You're planted by Satan to bring confusion. Who wants you to doubt your salvation? Who wants you to doubt the love of God? Who wants you to doubt the word of God? 
God doesn't. The Holy Spirit doesn't. Jesus doesn't. The only person who would cause you to, to want to doubt the word of God is the devil. Because again, if we don't have the word of God, we don't have a leg to stand on. Keep your finger here uh, in, for just a second, the book of Galatians, and go back to the book of Matthew, if you have Matthew chapter 13. I've been reading through the book of Matthew as part of my daily devotionals, and um, I came across this uh, parable that Jesus told, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse number 24. Matthew 13, 24, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the blade was sprung up and it brought forth fruit, then it appeared the tares also. So the servant came to the householder and to, to, came to him and said, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in the field whence then it hath tares? Tares look almost exactly like the wheat. The problem is, is there's no actual wheat on the inside of it. They're, they're empty husks. And he goes to the master of the house and says, hey, I thought you planted good seed because we got wheat and we got tares and they're in the same field. What do we do? Verse number 28, he said unto him, an enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, wilt thou go? Then we shall go and gather them up. He said, nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest in the time of harvest, I'll say to the reapers, gather ye first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather my wheat into, gather the wheat into my barn. The guys asked him later, say, hey, what is this about? What were you talking about the wheat and the tares? And he says, the, the, the wheat are my children. The tares are the children of the devil that the devil went and sowed. The devil is the enemy that sowed these seeds in the field. Here's, here's the crazy thing about this parable. Jesus at any point could take every false church off the planet where the only thing left is the true church, those who preach the truth. And I want to take this as an aside too to say this. This church is not the only church that preaches the truth. And when we get into a church who claims to be the only source of truth, you've not joined a church, you've joined a cult. Okay? I'm going to be really clear on that. So if you leave here going, well, I'm glad that our church is the only church in town that preaches the Bible. You're wrong. I never said that. I don't ever want you to get that idea. If another church is preaching the truth, it's going to be in accordance with scriptures. They don't have to do it like we do it. They don't have to, to sing the same songs we sing or preach the same way that I preach or anything like that. They just have to stay with the Bible. And if they do that, they're good to go. They're a true church. They're producing true disciples. But friend, there's false churches out there that look just like the real thing. That's what he says here. The tares are springing up right next to the wheat. You got a real Christian next to a fake Christian. What should we do? Should we take all the fake Christians out and set them to the side? Nope. We're going to let them all grow up together so that when the harvest comes, then we're going to separate the wheat from the tares. The tares will be taken and burned. The wheat will be taken into my barn, he says there. Mm, that's heavy stuff right there. Who planted the false brethren? The devil did. Who brings confusion? The devil does. Who causes all this to happen? Satan himself. So again, to say that there's false brethren that are planted by Satan, it sounds like a heavy claim, but it's actually really, really biblical. How do I, we identify false brethren? 
First of all, they'll question the truth. The very first time we ever see the devil in all of the Bible, we find him in the Garden of Eden. And he says, why don't you eat that fruit? And he said, we can't eat it. We, we can't eat it. We can't even touch it, which wasn't true. God didn't say they couldn't touch it. He said they couldn't eat it. We can't touch it because if we do, we'll die. What does the devil say? You're not gonna die. Very first thing the devil does is question the authority of God's word. It's a satanic trick, number one. Question the word of God. That's why you and I must be sold lock, stock, and barrel that this is the word of God. These are not the thoughts of God. Uh, These are not the ideas of God. This is the word of God. Every single bit of it, all 66 books, cover to cover, is the word of God, all of it. And we must subscribe to the authority of the word of God. If this Bible says it, it's done, settled, doesn't matter what I think about it, what you think about it, God said it, and it's over and done with the authority of Scripture. But false brethren will cause us to question the truth. I heard a pastor say one time, well, the Bible, the best we can understand because it's been lost over the years, we've lost a lot in translations and copies of copies and things like that, the best that we can tell from what we have left of the Bible, I reached up for the dial and I turned the radio off. I don't want to hear anything else you have to say. Because if I can't trust this book, I can't trust my faith. And who's the judge of what is good and what's bad? If it's parts of it are only good, who's the judge of that? You or I? I mean, is there anybody that you know of that sat down with all the manuscripts that we have and studied all this out for themselves? We have to have faith in the authority of the word of God. When we begin to question that, that's a satanic trick. And that's an identifier of a false brother. Next, they'll breed confusion. I'm gonna give you this, there's parts of the Bible that are confusing. They don't make straightforward sense. Especially when you get to look at things like eschatology and end times and what happens uh, at the end of days and things along those lines. There's some parts that are confusing that good men disagree on. And I'm not talking about areas, when there's areas of the Bible that we can't fully grasp exactly what happens and what timeline and things like that, uh, we can't be necessarily dogmatic on it, that's fine. But when you say things like there's multiple ways to heaven, friend, that's just not up for discussion. That's gonna breed confusion. And again, cause the Bible to be questioned. Well, the Bible, you know, is just like every other ancient world religion. Every ancient world religion has a flood of some sort. It has some type of end time story. It has some savior that comes along in the middle of it. They're all basically the same, just the characters are different. Hmm, that begins to breed confusion. Bible says God's not the author of confusion. God doesn't want us to be confused. The Bible's straightforward. We should take it at its word. The other thing that false brethren do is they detract from the mission. They take the focus off of what's really important and put it on the things that aren't so important at all. We're gonna take the focus off of going in all to the world and making disciples and put the focus on, let's just say, I don't know, money, prosperity, health, wellness. Hmm. That's a good way to identify a false brethren when they subtract from the mission and make something else the mission. Hey, friend, if you can go to a church for six months and never hear that Jesus Christ died for sinners and without faith in Christ, you'll spend eternity separated from God and hell. If you can go to the church for six months and never hear that, you need to ask yourself, does this church even know what the mission of the church is? The people who came to church here before who said, uh, Pastor, I've gone to church my entire life and I've never heard the gospel until I came here. I don't know what kind of churches you were at, but they did you a great disservice. 
I don't want anyone to ever walk out of here not knowing how they get to heaven. That's it. Because that's our mission, to make disciples, to tell people about Christ, to advance the kingdom of God. And false brethren will question the word of God, they'll bring confusion, and they'll detract from the mission and put the focus on something that's not actually the mission at all. So turn back to Galatians, uh, if you would, final thought. Galatians chapter nine, I'm sorry, Galatians two, verse number nine. When James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me. Stop for a second and see here that they perceived the grace that was given to me that we should go to the Gentiles. This means we must have discernment with our fellowship. Peter, James, and John did not take Paul at his word. Oh, Paul, that's great. You want to go to the Gentiles? Go for it. Mm -mm. The Bible says that they perceived that the grace of God was at work with them. I bet Peter, James, and John had some questions that they wanted answered by good old Paul before they gave him the right hand of fellowship. They wanted to know that they were on the same page, headed towards the same direction with the same mission in mind. And when they had done that, they perceived that the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. We should go into the heathen. They should go into the circumcision. You know what they said? Hey, we're for you. Get it done. And they gave them the right hand of fellowship. They shook hands. How does that apply to us? I'm glad you asked. You didn't ask, but I'm gonna tell you anyways. If I'm going to extend the right hand of Christian fellowship to another brother, I need to perceive that they are biblically correct. I've never gone to an interdenominational prayer meeting. I've never gone to an interfaith dialogue where we sit down with Muslims and Catholics and Jehovah's Witnesses and we talk about how there's parts of our faith that are common. We've never done that. I have no desire to. Because I'm not going to gather together with a Muslim and pray to Allah while I pray to God. It doesn't work that way. I'm not gonna extend the right hand of fellowship to him and say, hey, brother, keep doing what you're doing. No, no, no. What you're doing is taking people away from the true gospel. I'm not gonna give you the hand of fellowship and, God, and say, God bless you. The Bible says we shouldn't even give, bid Godspeed unto those that are false teachers. And again, I'm not trying to get you to be so wary of every single person that you're looking at, ah, oh, but that guy's not a Christian, that guy's not a Christian, he's a false teacher, she's a false teacher. I'm not trying to get any of that. I want you to be discerning that you don't just give a right hand to somebody who says that they believe in God. That you don't give a God bless you to somebody who might be a member of a cult. That you don't have enough biblical discernment to know the truth. And so Peter, James, and John, before they extended the right hand of Christian fellowship to Barnabas and Paul here, they wanted to make sure that they knew what they were getting into. Hey, if we're gonna partner with this guy, I wanna make sure that I know what I'm partnering with. That's the thing for us. Uh, there have been several uh, uh, folks who've asked to partner with us uh, for, for um, several different projects with the um, uh, A Place for Women in YPO that we took our, our offering for today. Uh, we partnered with them because I went over there and, I, and I, I sat down with them and I said, tell me it is what you do. And they began to tell us what they do. And they said, this is the area where ladies come in. We talk to them. We show them uh, the size of their baby, uh, whatever month it is and things along those lines. And before anybody ever leaves, they always hear the gospel. Hmm, Interesting. Tell me the gospel. 
You don't know what they're You're a pastor. No, 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 tell me what you would tell somebody like that. Well, we tell them that regardless of the mistakes that they've made in their lives, that God loves them and that, uh, that even though they're, they're flawed and broken, God still loves them, but because of their brokenness, they're separated from God, and the only hope that they have for reconciliation with God is faith in Christ who died for their sins. And if they don't put their faith in Christ, they're responsible for their sins. And God's wrath and punishment will be handed out if they die in their sins. Hey, that's the gospel. You got it. And I asked, how can we help? What can we do to get involved? We want to we get in on this. We want to partner with this. Now, mind you, uh, there's a lot of folks in our, our city that are against abortion uh, for different reasons or another. Uh, you take Catholics. Catholics are vehemently against abortion not because they value every human life the way that you and I would, because they believe that aborted children go to hell because they've never had the opportunity to be baptized. It's because that Catholics are so against abortion. I'm glad that the other folks are against abortion. I'm thankful for that. But our reasoning behind that is a little bit different. We can both agree that abortion's bad, and, and then we can both uh, uh, be on the same side as far as that's concerned. I'm not going to go to a Catholic parish and, and pray to end abortion. I'm just not going to do that. I wouldn't want to extend my name and it appeared I'm extending the right hand of Christian fellowship for someone who believes in a works-based salvation as opposed to salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone. Got to be careful of that. So again, it's about being discerning. Now, does this mean that you can't pray with your coworker who goes to a different church? That's not what we're talking about. Uh, does this mean that you can't, uh, uh, you know, go uh, invite your neighbor over to a, for a barbecue that goes to a different church? Not what we're talking about. The idea is partnering together with another person for the sake of the gospel. Discerning. Knowing what you're getting into. At the end of the day, we need to understand that there's probably um, this idea of false teaching is not new. Uh, you know, I, I called out two guys that I would consider to be false teachers uh, tonight. It's not a slam on them. I'm not against them. For every two of those, there's 10,000 more. You say, oh, it's, it's bad times where there's so many false teachers. You read through the Bible, just about all the epistles are written against false teachers. So this has been going on for 2,000 years. This is not a new problem that we have. It's just more prevalent, I think, and more visible to us because we have social media, we have the internet and uh, blogs and things along those lines. It's more prevalent today that we can see it. But just know false teaching has always been around. But here's the great news. Great news, and I'm done. There's always been a group of people throughout all of church history that have been committed to the truth. Here's what the Bible says. We're not gonna cross this line. We're not gonna go outside of the bounds of what the Bible says. We love God, we love the Bible, and we're gonna stand up against anybody who says otherwise. And those people have been the true Christians who have stood throughout the last 2,000 years in face of great persecution and have paid an incredibly high price so that you and I could sit here tonight with a Bible in our hands to worship uh, together tonight. They paid the price because they weren't willing to give in to compromise the truth of the gospel. They weren't willing to compromise their faith. So, the question is, will we be those Christians? Again, we don't have to be mean. We don't have to be ugly. We don't have to go around pointing out false teachers and stuff like that. We don't have to start a blog that's gonna call out every false teacher. We don't have to go on Facebook and every time somebody posts an Andy Stanley quote on there, you put under the comments, do you know what he said about the Bible? We're not gonna do that. That doesn't ha Nobody has ever, ever, been one to Christ because of an argument on Facebook. So just don't do it, okay? I have personally reached out to other Christians before in an email and said, hey, I saw this quote that you posted online. 
I wanted you to be aware of what this person said, and, and whatever you do at the end of the day with that is totally up to you. I just wanted you to be aware of this. I would never quote this person because of some troublesome things they've said. I've done that. I've reached out to a person. I've had, I've had both ends of the spectrum. One person who said, hey, thanks for that. Wasn't aware of that. Just came across the quote. Didn't even know who said it and posted it. I should do more research. Good for you. Another person who said, well, yeah, I know that that's problematic. I know they said some bad things, but I thought the quote was really good. Okay, fine, whatever. At the end of the day, I'm not the quote police. I don't want to be. I just want to help people be discerning Christians. That's all. My goal for you is that not you go on a crusade against false teaching. It's just that you would be discerning. Just like Paul, he came to Jerusalem. There were some people who people held in high esteem. And you know what he said? I wasn't impressed with them. I just went on about my work. And when you come across folks who don't believe what we believe, you know what you need to do? Don't pay them no mind and just go about your work. That's what Paul did. So, got a lot of work to do. Majority of people in our city don't know Christ as Savior. We need to change that. We need to make a difference. We need to make an impact. It's our job. Let's do that this week.